0: The following program may contain language that is explicit. And by explicit, I mean implicitly naughty words. It's Wednesday, September 30th, 2020 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. On Monday night, a candidate for federal office pulled out a pair of scissors and cut up a surgical mask during a televised debate. Symbolically, I want to cut these masks. And that was only the second wackiest that someone acted on a debate stage during the last 48 hours. Because while piles of surgical mask lay scattered on the floor at the feet of Maine independent candidate Max Lynn, our president of the United States, Donald Trump, is actively shredding so much more. Civility, tradition, norms, laws, the Constitution, and last night, our patience. The reaction was all but unanimous. That was
1: a hot mess inside a dumpster fire, inside a train wreck.
0: That was a shit show. Never in my life could I imagine anything. I'd never seen it.
2: I couldn't even imagine. I'm a screenwriter, a novelist. I couldn't dream that up and have that in a script or a novel and have anybody believe it.
0: That was CNN's Jake Tapper, CNN's Dana Bash, and NBC's Ferdy Pacheco. Pacheco was being quoted Not about last night's debate. He did die about 10 years ago. He was being quoted moments after Mike Tyson bit the ear off Evander Holyfield, 1997. Ferdy, as I said, has passed away and maybe the debates themselves need to go too. And we should just be doing a post-mortem. So why do them is the question. Why even have them? No one won last night's debate, goes the common sentiment, wrong. You know who won? This is gonna be pretty complex. You're gonna have to follow my logic, Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Joe Biden won, and he won by a lot. And last night was a step, not a huge step, but a step in making sure Donald Trump doesn't get reelected or even come close enough to dispute the results of the election. Yes, it was uncomfortable and uninformative. Let it not be said that it wasn't uninformative. And it was sad. It was sad for democracy. But enough people realized it was sad or were saddened and blamed Donald Trump for making them sad that... It is, like I said, another pebble, maybe a rather large pebble, since 100 million people were watching, another pebble in the sinking ship of the Trump administration. Now, I'll admit something about myself. I have less sensitivity to how disturbing this might be for some people. I took more glee in what was apparent to me as a horrible performance by Trump. Others hid their eyes. Literally, I heard this sentiment quite frequently. I can't look but no one ever said removing Trump from office would be easy. That was like the debate was when you erect a tent over your house to do a fumigation, but then you forget to leave the house in time. So yeah, our eyes are stinging, but the vermin is on its back heels. And you know, they have four more heels than we do. The Commission on Presidential Debates realized last night's debate had something of the Jackknife tractor trailer blocking all lanes and spilling toxic materials quality about it. So they put out a statement that, in part, read Last night's debate made clear that additional structure should be added to the format of the remaining debates to ensure a more orderly discussion of the issues. The CPD will be carefully considering the changes that it will adopt. That's reasonable. I'm sure all reasonable parties can agree that this will address the situation of a rabid wolverine being repeatedly stung by hornets, let loose on the stage. So this brings us to why I came across an old Ferdy Pacheco quote. It's not that I have a Google alert for Ferdy Pacheco. Such news would be in steep decline after the death of Dr. Pacheco. It's that people upset with Chris Wallace for not doing more didn't actually want to debate moderator. Moderators tend to be moderate. What they wanted was something like Mills Lane, who was the referee in the Tyson-Holyfield fight, Here's Mills Lane quoted directly afterwards when asked why'd he stop it.
2: How many times you want him to get bit? There's a goddamn limit to everything, you know, including
0: bites. Lane would also describe his decision to stop the fight after Tyson bit Holyfield as, quote, one bite is bad enough, two bites is dessert. But there was no such referee who could wade in and declare a DQ or a TKO. This is why some are calling for Biden not to attend the next debate boycott or Democrats saying we should demand that the debate commission radically change the rules and silence the mics of the candidate who doesn't have the floor. Or maybe Democrats should just very much want to do it again in front of undecided voters next time and have Trump seem twice as unqualified when he's not merely attacking his opponent and the moderator and the truth and sensitivity training, but tearing into Loretta from Key Biscayne, Florida. If your goal, is to get Trump to lose, you would want him to do what he did last night over and over again, at the same exquisite level of execution. There were so many moments from last night to pour over, and I'm sure by now, many of you have heard others do the pouring or have yourself poured one out for the bygone days of when charging someone with voodoo economics or fuzzy math was the height of insouciance on the presidential debate stage. So to that end, In the spiel, I will talk about things Biden could have said, things Trump did say, and why he said the one thing about the Proud Boys that was truly unconscionable. But first, Will Salatin, Slate's national writer, joins me. He and I discuss the thinking, if there was any, behind what Donald Trump just did, how scared we should all be that the election will be stolen, and if there's anything anyone can do from this all happening again. Will Salatan watch the debate? He has to. He covers politics for Slate. I love talking to this guy. Only if it takes a train wreck of a debate to do so. Hello, Will. Thanks for coming back on.
1: Hey, Mike. Great to be with you.
0: So I guess the big takeaway is that most people saw, and it's hard to disagree, is like, what what a terrible viewing experience. What a sad day for democracy. But I did say to my girlfriend, who literally had to leave the room because she gets very uncomfortable with situations like that, I did say, yes, but tomorrow there's going to be polls and the polls will show that Biden won. And won't that make you feel better? Her answer was no. But what's your answer to that?
1: Uh, it certainly made me feel better. I mean, right after the debate, there was the insta polls, and the insta polls showed that uh, they converged, which means they were probably right, that uh, m- more people thought Biden won than Trump did, which was super important in this case, because let's just set aside whether you're a Democrat or Republican, or even whether you're pro or anti-Donald Trump in general. So many bounds of behavior were breached during this debate by Donald Trump that it was really important that he suffered for it. It's really important that that cost him. There's sort of a rap on Chris Wallace, the debate moderator, that he he let Trump go on, that he let Trump walk all over him. And something that people don't know about Chris Wallace is Wallace has a track record of if he thinks you're hanging yourself, he'll let you do it. And Mm -hmm. so it was really, really important that the result of this was that Trump hung himself.
0: Yes. And also, as a debate moderator, you know, you have to come in without prejudgments that one side is right or one side is wrong, or at least you have to play it like that. I don't know if Wallace behaved perfectly, but I wouldn't uh, come at him with brickbats. I think he really exposed. Most people don't even have a strong opinion of a moderator. Most people identify with the moderator and most people hate when you debate with the moderator. So based on that, I think, you know, his actions and how he saw his role was very much hurt trump and deservedly so
1: yeah, a lot of people watch debates like this who weren't paying attention to the election at all some of them weren't paying attention to the presidency they're just like i'm living my life things seem okay oh shoot we have this virus and, you know then now they're interested in, in larger things but they haven't really tuned into trump and what those folks might want to know is what happened to chris wallace what you saw on that stage for however long you watched it and I think some people they didn't watch 90 minutes. They watched five or ten before they turned the channel But what you saw there is what has been happening to the entire press corps throughout this presidency They don't really know how to deal with someone who just violates the rules constantly who just has no regard for them What you end up with is sort of the weird both sides of I mean at the end of the debate I almost laughed Wallace tries to get in a word. He says, gentlemen, plural. It has to be a plural thing. And he says, please don't interrupt each other when obviously it's been Trump who's been doing the interrupting. But there's this reflex in the press to try to be fair, to try to be respectful and to play it as a both sides thing when it just isn't that way with this president.
0: Yes. Well, I do think that there were strategic elements, but I don't think necessarily what happened was that Trump woke up in a really foul mood and decided to play the card of constant interrupter. I think what happened is Trump and whoever his advisors are decided, I'm going to try to rattle Biden. So they thought it was possible that they could throw so much information at Biden, just the sheer amount of it and the quality of it, quantity and quality, that it would in fact rattle him and, you know, expose Biden into into either getting mad or a moment that could go viral or something like that. So I do, I think it was a dumb strategy. Maybe you could say it was a desperate strategy because he's really far behind. But I do think that it was strategic, but let's also acknowledge that it does a hundred percent fit in with what Trump thinks is his skill set, which is I have the ability to be an unbelievable irritant. The
1: fundamental problem with that as a strategy, if we go with that idea, is that it doesn't really take adequate account of the effect of the person leveling the attacks, which in this case was, you know, that Trump so completely overshadowed anything Biden said that most people don't come away from that debate thinking, well, Trump was strong and Biden was weak. And did you notice this or that thing Biden said? They don't remember anything Biden said at all, because what was overwhelming was just the sheer behavior, the sheer aggressiveness uh, and the interrupting from Donald Trump.
0: Maybe you could also say one thing he did do is he disrupted Biden's ability to connect emotionally to the American people to some extent just by you know throwing so much static in there. He does scramble the signal. The problem is it's not only about what Joe Biden can or can't communicate. Trump is behind, and what's the theory of the case that you know providing that static lifts him up? I I don't think there is one.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. This election has been so remarkable in the consistency of polling over time with Biden holding a pretty steady lead. Uh, and in, in a lot of states now, you know, Joe Biden is basically at 50%. I mean, it's, he's in a better position than Hillary Clinton was. There aren't a lot of undecideds at the end who can put Donald Trump over the top. He's going to have to like get People who not just aren't for him at the moment, but are for Joe Biden, and I don't see any evidence that Trump did anything to attract those people. So I can understand the strategy from the standpoint of, look, the the guys, he's at fifty. We've got we've got to take him down. But are you really taking him down and bringing those people over to your side or? Are you basically costing both of you some votes? So maybe the third party candidates do a little bit better, but Donald Trump doesn't do better. His numbers aren't good enough in the swing states and nationally for him to play that strategy.
0: So far, we haven't talked about one issue. I guess maybe that is what Donald Trump wanted. But do you think in normal times, if there was this huge revelation about a candidate's crazy finances and also uh, an issue hanging over this candidate for five years that has been revealed and to his detriment, which is what his taxes are. Do you think that had a big effect or will have a big effect on Trump trying to answer the tax questions? Well, I was really
1: struck in the, and I have not looked at the fact checks this morning, but Trump absolutely denied that he had paid just $750 in 2016 and 2017 in federal income. I mean, he specifically, Wallace is good about this. Wallace gave him a very specific question. He followed up to make sure it was super clear. I am talking about your federal income tax in those two years. And Trump claimed that he had paid millions. I forget what the number was, but he's now made a statement about something that needs to be verified by his tax returns. And what is he going to do now? Come up with some documents to back up this, this number that he came up with? Even as I say that, Mike, I'm, I, you know, I'm thinking anyone who cares about facts is already voting against Trump. I don't know if that's true, but uh, he's definitely created a second day story for himself about the tax returns that I don't think can work to his advantage.
0: You know, I would think that people concerned about the coronavirus are a large majority of the audience. And if you look at mask usage, it's also a pretty large majority of people are for it. They tangled over that. And to my mind, Joe Biden had the better, more logical, more sensible part of the answer. So a two-part question is, do you think Trump did anything more clever than I'm understanding about his mask denialism, or do you think that... It's pretty much baked in that if you don't like masks, you like Trump. And if you like masks, you like Biden. I'll put this caveat there that a pro mask sentiment is at 60 something percent, and Biden's not that high in the polls.
1: Yeah. The, I mean, I think that's true that Trump has identified him. He's got the anti mask vote, you know, if that's what he wanted. And it's heavily concentrated in these, you know, largely rural states that Republicans already have in their pocket. So it's not that's not going to help him in the electoral college it is kind of bizarre that he first of all has so clearly taken that side of it and secondly you know during the debate an example of one of the weird gratuitous fights trump picked you know so biden raises masks as an issue and trump starts going off about how the doctors first said you shouldn't wear masks and now said you should He sounds like he's picking fights with the health officials in his own administration, which he is. Why would would you do that? I mean, I don't see any upside. You've positioned yourself now against the scientists. You've undercut the public health message. That was, to me, the glaring thing. Someone watching this debate just heard the president say that there's ambivalence currently. He concluded by saying that there is ambivalence currently among medical authorities about wearing masks, which is not true at all. And so it is both bad for the country, bad for people's health and bad for Donald Trump's electoral prospects.
0: So I guess we got to go to the last question. And maybe this is really Trump's only hope, you know, sometimes because of where my motivated reasoning is and finding it difficult to actually put myself in the mind of a swing voter who would choose Trump. I try to I understand a Trump voter tried and true who would choose Trump. I do think maybe the only the only leverage here to use a popular Trump term as of the last couple days is somehow stealing or casting doubt on the election other than chaos. Are you sensing any sort of coherent strategy about how Trump might use electoral uncertainty to his advantage and actually stay in office. Was there anything of about how he was phrasing this during the debate that struck your radar and said, oh, that's something new, that's something we have to watch out for?
1: No, I, I agree with this idea, but only halfway. I agree with the part that he wants to use the chaos and the, and the fear uh, and the suspicion to his advantage. I don't think it ends with him staying in office. All of Trump's behavior to me suggests that he wants a story. He he wants never to have to, just like he never wanted to admit the size of his inaugural crowd, he never wants to admit that he lost the popular vote in 2016. He doesn't want to ever have to admit that he lost legitimately in 2020. But that's a different question from whether he will stay to stay, he would have to want the power. He would want to keep the job. I don't think that's his driving force at all. I think his driving force is the ego. He wants to have a platform when he leaves. We're never going to be rid of him. He's going to be on One America Network or on Fox or whatever the heck it is. He's going to have a media empire. And as we saw from his tax returns, he's going to need that to bail himself out of all of his debts. So he's not playing to drag out the election and hold on to the job at all costs. He's playing for a story. And I think What he's going to end up with is they'll litigate this. They'll argue that all these ballots were fraudulent. But when they tell him the helicopter is here, he's going to get on the helicopter.
0: Yeah, I hope so. And that does fit in with, you know, all of his legal suits, which he plays out and plays out and loses, but claims vindication. And maybe it's actual in his mind. But what if you're wrong, Will?
1: (laughs) Well, so like, I guess the nightmare scenario is that the Republicans drag out the litigation for weeks and weeks to the point where we're starting to run out the clock on when the next president has to be sworn in. And the electoral college is meeting and they start playing a game where they try to refuse to certify the election results, and then the electors are following what or, I guess...
0: Or as the Atlantic suggests, uh, you know, some states put their own slate of electors in there.
1: Right. You control the legislatures. My problem with that scenario, I mean, if, if it happens, we're in, we're in a deep hole. But my problem with that scenario is I don't think the Republican Party wants to put itself in a position where having just pocketed three Supreme Court justices and got its tax cuts it now wants to be alongside a guy who's going to have massive protests in the street. I mean, we'll become Belarus if that happens, uh, if the election results are rejected entirely. So I don't think the Republicans are as nuts uh, as that. I don't even think Donald Trump is as nuts as that.
0: Well, okay. Which Republicans? Josh Hawley, Tom Cotton? I can maybe Tom Tillis right maybe uh, if if Susan Collins wins there's some non-nuts Republicans I can name a bunch of Republicans who have never given any indication they wouldn't be down for what you're describing
1: Well okay back up and ask yourself you're Tom cotton okay first of all, I'm sorry but secondly uh,
0: if hey, I it, went to Harvard I'm a military <laughs> hero I'm really thin got a good body mass index go ahead. <laughs>
1: So if you're one of these guys you're you're thinking about your own career you know you, you your best shot is that Trump officially loses the election, maintains that it was never properly decided that there were millions of illegal votes cast, whatnot, and you're going to come back and you're going to be the candidate in 2024 with all of the grievances of those trumpers to back you up. I don't think the incentives run toward you fighting to the end to keep Donald Trump in office. And then in 2024, you know, there would be obviously, I mean, there would be democratic waves in 2022 and 2024. So yeah, I just don't think that the incentives work out for anyone
0: there. I think it might depend on the plausibility of the claim. I think that if, you know, by the way, this has happened. Wisconsin really is a lot closer than we thought. And Pennsylvania maybe does throw uh, down some weird electors from their legislature, but it's not. They're the only state doing so. So maybe if it's not, you know, a Belarus election, but maybe if it's a one of those uh, post-Aquino Philippines elections, or maybe if it's an election where, you know, a couple thousand votes here, a couple thousand votes there, and actually Trump will have won the Electoral College, then I don't know what Tom Cotton and his ilk think.
1: Well, part of me wants to argue with this and say most of these scenarios are unrealistic and people are worrying about them too much. Another part of me wants to encourage you and to say to all the voters out there, so let's not let this be close right These scenarios can only happen if the election is close enough for them to contest it if you can put this thing away solidly it's like you know you're it's like in basketball your team's up at the end of the third quarter in these situations you tend to let up a little bit but if you can really if you can get your your players together and say we're just going to snuff this out in the next five minutes so it's not even close, then, you know, you don't end up in these nightmare scenarios. So I I would encourage people to, you know, don't panic at the expense of your mental health, but definitely worry enough to get out and vote, get your friends out to vote. Because if you can make the margin big enough that this can be called on election night, which is entirely possible to have enough states clear by election night that the electoral college is over, then we start to avert some of these nightmare scenarios.
0: Yeah, 72 Munich Olympics. If the U.S. team was up by 20, none of that uh, chicanery at the end of the game would have come into play. Right. <laughs> to, to draw on an analogy that I think lost a large percentage of the audience.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's there's <laughs> always a sports event. There's always, every year there's a new one for making the case against <laughs> letting it be close.
0: Will Salatan is the national correspondent of uh, Little Outlet called Slate.com. Thank you, Will. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> And now the spiel. Last night, lost amid the clamor was the hubbub. Drowned out by the din, the cacophony. Let's revisit some of the stranger assertions that our president made that you may not have even caught. They went by so quickly. He said he had the endorsement of Portland's sheriff. He does not. He said ballots were found in a creek. That didn't happen. He said Michigan has never done better than under him. 100,000 workers from around the country flooding into Michigan in 1955 for those UAW contracts and workplace protections. He said, quote, Justice Ginsburg said very
2: powerfully, very strongly. At some point, 10 years ago or so, she said a president and the Senate is elected
0: for a period of time, but a president's elected for four years. Mm-hmm. He charged Joe Biden with this. You wouldn't have made ventilators. Mm-hmm. And he engaged in reverie about how great things were going before the coronavirus. Quote, everything, everything was good. Everything was good. Everything was going. And by
2: the way, there was unity going to happen. People were calling me for the first time in years.
0: They were calling and they were saying it's time, maybe. Oh, God. Well, given that, You had the responsibility to protect us, you know, in order that the unity call was about to happen. But the big headline, same headline, in a number of places beyond the tenor of the debate was, CBS, Trump faces criticism for refusing to condemn white supremacists. ABC, Trump's failure to condemn white supremacy at debate, part of well-established pattern. NPR debate, Trump declines to denounce white supremacy. Everyone agreed that this remark was a complete and utter failure.
2: Are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups sure. and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland? Sure, are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, but do it? Well, I, go would ahead, say, sir. I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right so wing. So what, what, you you what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call him what do you want to call him? Give me a name. Give me a name. White supremacist and right. White supremacists and right proud boys,
0: Stand back and stand by, but I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. And what he told us was that it's all Antifa's fault. Now, let me tell you what I thought when I heard that. I thought, well that's not an adequate condemnation. The words stand back don't mean much, and stand by actually means hold on for further orders. And the Proud Boys themselves heard it the same way because they jumped on the words because here is the president kind of endorsing them or at least telling them, just wait for my next orders. But what I thought was apparent was that Donald Trump with his mush brain and his obstinate, obstinate refusal ever to go along with what anyone tells him to do was actually trying to conjure the phrase that the moderator had used before, stand down. And he either couldn't recall it or so defiant, he will never do anything anyone ever tells him to do, that he changed the phrase and he changed it into meaninglessness or maybe actually technically changed it into kind of the opposite of a condemnation when he said, stand back and stand by, stand back. See, slurred a little there and stand by. So that to me indicates that he didn't have the words quite ready to go. Well, it could have been a dangerous situation, but I think that indicates that there was a question about what words he was trying to use. And also in the beginning, you heard when Wallace was asking him, will you condemn them? He says, sure. And then later quite clearly says, sure, I'm willing to do that. Sure.
2: And to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to, to do, to do to that? that?
0: Today, Trump tried to clean this all up Which acknowledges that it needed cleaning up, saying these words as the whirly copter almost drowned him out, Donald Trump-like.
2: I don't know who the Proud Boys are. I mean, you'll have to give me a definition because I really don't know who they are. I can only say they have to stand down, let law enforcement do their work.
0: So there he said stand down. And it's, of course, not good enough. When 100 million people are watching, you have to muster the correct words. Or maybe Trump couldn't do the job as is necessary. Trump is legendarily infelicitous with speech. He substitutes words and sounds frequently. He didn't downplay the virus. He played down the virus. Said to Woodward, he gets vague. You just heard that in the Ginsburg quote. He talks about a certain period of time. I think this may have happened with some of his quotes about the military, which just seem unconscionably unfeeling. I think he's just... Conjuring the wrong words to express his sentiment like there was the time and I'm not just talking about the recent Revelations by the Atlantic, but there was that incident where Maisha Johnson who was an army widow was on the way to the airport to Collect the remains of her husband who died in service to this country and Trump told her He knew what he was getting into now at the time Many thought, what what a horrible thing to say. But why would he have gone out of his way to gratuitously diminish a widow's loss? I think he was trying to express something like, uh, your husband's heroism is clear, because when you think about it, your husband knew that this was a dangerous situation and yet still went forward with the mission. That, to Trump, is he knew what he was getting into. A Trump spokesman today, Jason Miller, said that Trump meant Stand by as in stand by the wayside problem. There is no such expression. Actually, there not being an expression maybe makes it more likely that Trump was trying to express it. But we've seen all this before and we saw it in the most notorious utterance of his presidency that there were good people on both sides in Charlottesville. Let's review that incident where Trump actually felt that he was denouncing neo-Nazis.
2: Excuse me. I've condemned neo-Nazis. I've condemned many different groups, but not all of those people were neo-Nazis, believe me. Not all of those people were white supremacists by any stretch.
0: Okay, that's tape from the 2017 incident. And he had the day before the remarks that I'm playing now, he had delivered a written statement where he literally did condemn neo-Nazis. But then what Trump was trying to do here is getting mad at the press and anyone asking him for more and trying to thread a needle, essentially not making a concession that critics wanted, but making a concession on his terms that also did some work for his goal of making his supporters feel strengthened by his defiance. The point he wanted to make wasn't so much neo-Nazis bad, it was Antifa bad, and he would use the part about neo-Nazis to make his overall point, but he didn't do it, because he's terrible with words.
2: You had a group on one side, and you had a group on the other, and they came at each other with clubs, and it was vicious, and it was horrible, and it was a horrible thing to watch.
0: Side, sides. So he was talking about sides, because he couldn't be straightforward, and this gets him into a bit of a verbal cul-de-sac
2: blame yes I think there's blame on both sides you look at you look at both sides I think there's blame on both sides and I have no doubt about it and you don't have any doubt about it either and and, and if you reported it accurately you would say
0: okay now you know what's coming right but at this point he hasn't yet uttered the horrible phrase. But you can see where his brain and his belligerence and also his fundamental indecency is taking him. Just denounce the neo-Nazis, Mr. President. Nope. And he says this.
2: Excuse me, And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people
0: that were very fine people on both sides. Yep. Good people, a fine people on both sides, which is pretty similar, I think, to Proud Boys Stand By. And Trump absolutely deserves all the condemnation he's getting. But I do think Proud Boys Stand By was born not precisely because he wanted to give a message that was in and of itself a non-condemnation, I do think he was reluctant to be pushed into a full condemnation that he didn't dictate the terms of. So what happened was he got the term wrong. Now, I got to admit, I could be wrong about all this, but the idea that he knowingly said standby by so that it could be interpreted in two different ways, I think it actually gives him more credit than he deserves, gives his brain more credit. I don't think he was purposefully conveying ambiguity, right? Is that why he says a period of time? And again, again, to emphasize every bit of criticism that he's getting, he deserves. You know, is it worse that a president foolishly thought he could trick us, but was exposed as secretly signaling a racist group? (laughs) Or is it worse that the president truly deep down doesn't care enough about condemning a racist group that he does a half ass job because he has a terrible brain? Both things are really bad. What he said was really bad. But I wanted to convey what I thought about it to get at the point that it might be slightly worse to labor under a misimpression that the president refused to condemn the Proud Boys. And the reason is I worry about the next Trump, right? Competent Trump, be he a Tom, Don, or Hawley. The guy will know, learn from this lesson, and say, just say the words. Just say, no, 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 those guys are bad guys. Use your words to be clear and unambiguous in your condemnation, competent Trump will think, but also be plenty ambiguous in your policies. Also, I default to having an accurate understanding of what transpired and why. Again, I won't fight you on what was going on inside Donald Trump's head. The common interpretation and my interpretation are slightly at odds, and I can't say for sure that mine is right. I do suspect it is. That's why I've come to this conclusion. If you want to come at me because you think I'm wrong, all I would say is stand by or stand down or stand and deliver, but whatever you do, stand by your man. And that's it for today's show. The Gist is produced by Margaret Kelly, who stands in the place where she is now face West, where she sees Daniel Schrader, no doubt using a tree stand during his time off. If I know anything about Daniel, he enjoys hunting and fishing and the deep satisfying taste of Skull Bandits. Jamila Bay produced the show today. Here is her favorite Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote, women will only have true equality when men share with them Strongly for a period of time, bringing up the next generation, a lot of people say. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts and she brought back Big Ten football. The gist, I just wanna share this one moment where I wanted to jump inside of Joe Biden's body and utter one sentence, here it is. President Trump, you're
2: holding large rallies with crowds packed together, thousands of people. Outside. Outside, yes, sir,
0: agreed. Not agreed. You killed Herman Kane inside. In Tulsa. It was inside. Um and thanks for listening.